everyone. You're listening to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast, devoted interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Prano Winerdy, and this is a really, really special episode. A couple weeks ago, I got the incredible privilege, thanks to Lucasfilm, to talk with some of the cast of Andor in a roundtable conversation with other Star Wars fan sites and podcasts. As you know, Andor is coming to Disney Plus next month on September 21st, premiering with the first three episodes, and it was a real, real honor uh, to be able to ask a couple questions to the cast. So first off, you're going to hear the newcomers, Kyle Soler and Denise Goff, who play Sal Cam and Deidre Miro, the antagonists of the series. Um, then you'll hear Genevieve O'Reilly. Riley, the Queen, uh, Mon Mothma, uh, and then finally, we all got to ask a quick question to Diego Luna, executive producer, and of course, casting Andor. So it was incredible, uh, a really great time and a great time to connect with other Star Wars podcasts and people that I, I, I've really come to know and, and really like over the past few years. Um, so you'll hear me ask questions. You'll also hear James from Jedi News, Charlotte and Caitlin from Sky Talkers, Alex from Star Wars Explained, Gustavo and Mariana from Charted Up the Force, Sarah and Richard from Skywalking Through Neverland, Dan Zier from Coffee with Kenobi, Keith the hero of this entire press conference from Father Sun Galaxy, Brian from Pink Milk, and Trisha from Fangirls Going Rogue. It was a great group. First off, we have Kyle Soler and Denise Goff, Deidre Miro, and Cyril Cam from Andor. Enjoy. And of course, for some reason, I was the first person to ask questions at this entire uh, press conference. So um, <laughs> we're leaving off with me. Here we go. Thank you so much. Hi, Brandon Wainerty from Talking Bay 94. Kyle and Denise, I would love to delve in a little bit into both of these characters because they're obviously villains in Star Wars, but I don't think that they view themselves as the villains of their own story. How did you craft that character in your own mind as you went through it? And how did you really make sure that was coming across on screen? Well, Tony crafted a, like pretty well-rounded three-dimensional characters first off and so that made it kind of easy to understand that we're not in a world of Star Wars where it's goodies and baddies it's it's kind of a deeper exploration of the light and shade in everyone and therefore it's holding a mirror up to anyone watching there but for the grace of whatever you believe in who knows if you were in Dedra's situation maybe you'd do exactly the same thing I mean who wouldn't torture a few people to get to where they need to get to <laughs> so yeah, I feel like Dedra thinks she's the hero of every story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I certainly think Cyril believes he's the hero of his own journey. I remember speaking to Tony at the very beginning when he was fleshing out the arc of the character and he was like, I don't really know where he ends up, you know? I mean, is he good? Is he bad? I, I don't know. And so I decided to take that kind of conflict, that gray area, which exists all throughout Andor and exists really in in Cassian, actually, which was, yeah. you know, beautifully presented in, in Rogue One. It's a really human condition to question the entire time, is this the right thing I should be doing? Mm -hmm. And Cyril really comes from a place of lack and of hunger to strive and be recognized and to have power and station and some form of identity that he can find within this political structure of fascism basically and, and that makes you like really ripe for 
that sort of yeah. that fascist thinking, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it's, it's so black and white. If you do this, you will have power. Yeah. If you get this guy, you there will have. There is no have... gray. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. for people who exist on both spectrums to move into that world where there is no gray, it's dangerous because mm. their own shades are all taken out and you just become quite viciously ruthless. Yeah. Ruthless, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, bearing in mind that both of you are looking after security albeit in slightly different ways, and whether you were able to learn something from each other's characters. Oh, God. I think we found in it, well, I can only speak for myself, but when I met Kyle's character, when I met Cyril as Dedra, I was like, oh, this makes total sense. Yeah. You know, we had this thing happen too, where in my fitting for my costume, I, I put the uniform on and I was like, yeah, it's great, of course, but I need it tailored and fitted and it needs to be really perfect. And and the costume designer said that's hilarious because that's what Cyril needed too. So it was really clear that they're both like super meticulous and tidy and clean and they want everything perfect. And yeah. that's why, you know, they sort of. They're like imperial, imperial twin flames. And Definitely. They like totally find and see each other within the other. Yeah. And it's like a love story. <laughs> <laughs> like an evil love story. And I think I think you know from Cyril's perspective, he get, he he has an interesting journey where um, he starts out quite high, and then he experiences a loss, and he he regains strength through finding Dedra, and so that's yeah. And Dedra starts at the opposite, so I'm yeah. like at the bottom of the of the. The, the ladder, you know, and I'm faced with the kind of ineptitude of so many of the men that I'm working for and with. And then she slowly through her own kind of determination and her kind of attention to detail, she rises up at the time when he's going down. So it's like mm. they meet just in this perfect storm of like each of them needing each other at exactly the right time. Mm. Dedra is less sort of um, open to it initially, you know, she doesn't want to share this stuff with anyone, but then once it's really clear that he's useful. Um, Persuasively evil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they live happily ever after. It's kind of simple. <laughs> I'm Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So nice to meet you guys. In Rogue One. In the background. Um, In Rogue One, we heard that rebellions are built on hope. What do you think the Empire is built on during this period? Ooh, that's such a good question. Wow. Ambition. Yeah. No, that's not right, though. If a rebellion is built on hope, an empire is built on... It's the opposite of hope. (laughs) Yeah. Fear and anger. Fear, yeah. <laughs> What's what Yoda says, isn't it? Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Yeah, like the empire is built on like resentment. Yeah, power, domination, you know. Yeah. They're, 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 they're looking to spread their tentacles as far as they can. And, um, and that's the really interesting thing about developing this backstory mm-hmm. of Cassian is you find that we're getting into a new area of Star Wars into the outer reaches where there's not much Imperial influence, and then spoiler alert, <laughs> here they come. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Hi, this is Alex from Star Wars Explained. Thank you both for doing this this morning. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Kyle. Hi, Kyle. I've been very interested and intrigued by your character and the group that he's part of. Uh, can you shed some light on that organization that people 
and the blue uniforms? And uh, how did they connect with the Empire and uh, Dedra's character? Yeah, well, Dedra uh, exists in an entirely different framework of the Imperial structure. And um, Cyril is at the beginning of Andor, he's on the outer reaches of the kind of Star Wars galaxy in a kind of overlooked star system. And it's very much a kind of corporate bureaucratic structure system. And he's part of the kind of law system that's kind of operating within that system. Have I said system enough already? I like, say it one more would time. like you to say it again. Okay, I'll, I'll fill it in. Um, <laughs> and so, so as he's trying to rise through the ranks of system. that system, um, he, um, he winds up uh, making some really huge mistakes by going behind the back of his superior officers who are really quite lax and feel like, you know, you know, the rebels aren't really anything to worry about. You know, this is just some kind of like little tiff and we don't really want to cause any trouble with Empire, the Imperial agencies coming in. So why don't you just like sit tight? And that's exactly what Cyril wants. He wants more order, more structure, more Imperial presence. He's like a rebel within that system. Yeah, yeah. In order to get himself to the place of the ISB, which is where Dedra exists. And that would be kind of like, you know, the SS, uh, the kind of Star Wars universe, which is like very selective, very intense. Yeah, (laughs) very tidy. Yeah, very tidy, very very clean. Very clean, very tidy. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Denise, Gustavo, and Mariana from Tried of the Force. Hey, Gustavo. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Really looking forward to your performances and Andor. Our question is tied more into like real world. So we've talked a lot about moral ambiguity, like in all of the heroes that we've seen, especially after Rogue One and seeing, you know, Cassian and some of the dark things that he's done for the rebellion and all that good stuff, right? That's supposed to come out of it. But our question is about how the moral ambiguity also comes in from that dark side and the Imperial side and how that ties into the response in real world politics that we've seen, because we've seen that this show specifically is tied to what's happening in the current state of politics without naming anything, right? So how has the real world kind of influenced how your portrayal in moral ambiguity as villains or antagonists in the show has Mm -hmm. led to your performance? It's funny because George Lucas said that all the Star Wars, uh, especially in the early days, it was all political. It's always political. Even works of fiction can reflect back what's happening societally. And I think the more I think about uh, certainly Dedra and the position that she's in, this sort of addiction to power and a certain level of fame and uh, what that can do to a soul, you know? So a person who starts out um, with all of these talents, because there's no doubt that these people that we're playing are incredibly talented and intelligent. And if put to use in a in something more wholesome, they mm-hmm. probably do really well, but mm-hmm. they exist within this, you know, fascist regime so they apply their talents and their sort of addictions to needing to be seen within this structure and certainly Dedra as a woman in this man's world you know she wants to rise to the top of that structure um so unfortunately they make these sort of poisonous decisions but they come from a place of you know first of all, from a place of lack. So they're looking for their identities, I guess. And I think that that is happening 
in our current climate and has happened throughout history. It's just now in our current climate, we have, you know, social media and the ability to get seen and heard in ways that maybe we didn't when the very first Star Wars happened. But yeah, we're moving through the times, aren't we? And this is a very human exploration, a work of fiction for sure, but you know, it's gonna resonate in many ways. It's no, it's, you know, it's no surprise that it's resonated for almost 50 years, yeah. right? Because it's dealing with us and them, the people that have, the people that don't, the people yeah. that are in power, the people that have less power. And those that exist on the outer edges, Cassian, you know, all of the characters that Tony has developed within Andor are all, in a way, outsiders trying to mm. find their place, trying to become part of mm. something, of a movement, mm. of a and cause. All, and Yeah, and they're staging their own rebellions within the things, right? Exactly. So we're in like the structure of the ISB and the and the Empire, but within that, we're rebelling. I'm rebelling against the idea that, you know someone like Cassian Andor is to be ignored. You, so she's staging a rebellion within the empire structure. And so is, is Cyril for sure. Mm. So there's like many rebellions going on within the big rebellion that you think is just about good and evil. It's like, yeah, but within that, there's all these colors too. And I think that's what makes kind of long form episodic shows like this that are able to explore all of that. So interesting and so exciting, certainly to work on anyway. We are from the skywalking through a Neverland system. Got to get that one worked in there. System. Yeah, <laughs> After just seeing the first four episodes, your, your characters are so well-defined. Did you model your characters after either someone in the Star Wars universe or in history or from another film? No, I, I think we both just took what was on the page and we had... Um, really good connection with Tony Gilroy, who, you know, came up with the first few scripts and then had arcs for our character. And we really fleshed it out with him. And I think, I think, you know, if you know about Star Wars, if you've ever seen it, you know, the ghosts of those other characters probably always live within the walls of the sets and everything mm. and, and in the pages. But, but what Tony really created was something new and fresh. Mm. And these, these, really conflicted villains who, yeah. you know, are existing in a gray area trying to find their way. And yeah. and so I think they were totally unique. But Gus Fring from Breaking Bad is always oh, yeah, like yeah, my yeah. favorite. I don't know, there's just something about his meticulousness and his, his sort of complete detachment and yet his ability to kind of perform in the real world. Like you see him, in you know the chicken place and talking to normal people and then you see him go and prepare to murder someone and so there's there was something very satisfying about a character like Gus Fring for me as Dedra. He definitely fit into our squad. I definitely yeah. think so so I think I wouldn't I don't kind of I don't base Dedra on him but he's in the tribe of villains that yeah for sure that's somebody we would invite in to our home <laughs> yeah. that we live in together now in you know disney villain yeah. world yeah and ben mendelson in rogue one yeah yeah he's got to come always <laughs> dead there we go. everyone's dead sorry guys disney are brutal uh thanks so much uh in both of your performances how do you balance the science fiction of the star wars universe with the tone and realism of andor well, Tony Gilroy did that really. Yeah, like we've yeah. both spoken at length about how when you read, when I read these, certainly the initial three scripts that I was sent, and I'm not, Dedra wasn't in any of them, 
all I was reading was like a new piece of writing, like a thriller, spy, love story, uh, rebellion story that then happens to be in the Star Wars universe. So I, I didn't, I certainly didn't read it from, and I worried about before I, uh, before I agreed to, to do or to kind of pursue the, the role, I, I wanted to read the script so that I would be able to relate because I'm, I, I'm a theater actress and who mostly any screen work I do is all very emotional, very human, very based in the real world. And I thought maybe I'm not cut out for that, the world of Star Wars. And then, and then I got sent these scripts and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not a space show. This is like a human show that happens to be in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And I think that's, unbelievably clever what Tony Definitely. accomplished because he's he's gonna give diehard fans exactly what they're looking for yeah. but he's also gonna probably bring in a whole group of people who haven't been Star Wars fans yeah. because they can connect with this socio-political human drama story that is also a thriller and a spy for thing sure. and and it's it's something that you know I mean me I'll watch it I've never watched Star Wars exactly. but I'll watch this if you one. can get her <laughs> You know, you're doing something right. <laughs> so, uh, hi, I'm Keith Yard from um, Father's Ten Galaxy Star Wars podcast. What's up, Keith? So, oh, oh my God, hello. Keith! Hello. Hey. Hello. Hi. hi. Me. Sorry, I'm really excited to meet you, Keith. You're the youngest person we've had. Yeah, Yeah. because you're the youngest person we've had. And we've been saying through this whole junket, we've been saying the thing that we love about being in Star Wars is that a really young person can speak to a really old person about the same thing (laughs) about the same thing and be as excited and now you're proving our point yes Yes. oh my god this is so exciting okay ask us anything we will give you every spoiler we will tell you everything (laughs) (laughs) well actually i only have a spoiler related question i wanted to ask like where were your scenes as a dead red zero filmed and why is shooting on location so important to the storytelling Wow, what a great question. Oh my God. So uh, we shot in Pinewood Studios in London and Dedra because it's quite, it's mostly in the ISB. So it's very, it was in a studio, but obviously built. And then I had one day where I shot in this village, this town that was built by the art department and the design department that was so Um, it made it so beautiful to act in because you didn't have to pretend. Like I thought that the whole thing was going to be green screen and then I would be pretending to talk to people. And and instead we had this whole playground to play in. Like it was, for me, it's, it's not that it has to be that way, but I do think that it's better for actors to work on the real thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it also, it, it, pays homage to the original films, you know, and they were building all those sets, you know, they didn't have a lot of CGI. And we were afforded that because of when we were filming it during the pandemic. And it just, it gives it an extra level of authenticity and makes you feel like you're really there. Yeah. And all the drawers have stuff in it and all the cupboards have things in it. And like- There was like a sushi bar that, well, it seemed like a sushi bar, but in space and like all these bowls of food. And I thought, well, there won't be anything in them. And then I went over and there was like blue noodles and like little insects that we were, it was just, 
Yeah, you would have really liked it's it. It's the I most reckon. incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kids should be allowed to go and like play on yeah. that after we're yeah. done. Yeah. How old are you? I'm actually 10, right? My 11th birthday soon. Wow. Awesome. Happy 11th birthday. Good for you. Happy birthday, man. Person. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, and they were just so fun to talk to. And obviously, again, like I said, Keith stole the show. I really. I don't know why I'm interviewing anymore when Keith is out there doing this because, man, just a natural. Killed it. Next up, this was maybe the one I was most excited for the entire day, was getting to hear from Jenny Boot Riley. Of course, has been Mon Mothma uh, since the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith. And it was a really great opportunity to get to hear how she's approaching Star Wars almost 20 years later. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, the question we wanted to ask is, given that this is the, the third time that you came back to play this character in live action, how has your approach to your to how you portray the character and your perspective on the character changed as you've played the character at each uh, different stage in your life? I think we know Mon Mothma so much from the films over the years, from where Carolyn Blackstone originated her in Return of the Jedi, through to the few times that I have had the opportunity to play her. But each of those times previously, they were quite public roles, and that she has a dignity and a serenity to her that makes me it reminds me of like a pillar for the rebellion, something strong, something calm. And what was an extraordinary gift with Tony Gilroy's writing with Andor is that we meet Mon Mothma in a completely different place and navigating a very different world than we're used to her seeing. She feels she's working within the empire. She feels different, she looks different. But we also meet a private side of Mon Mothma. We get to meet not just the figure, but also the woman. And that's what I think will be exciting for fans um, to watch as much as, as it is for me to play. Hello, I'm Brian from Pink Milk, where we talk Star Wars queerly. And I'm not sure if you're aware how stunning you look in every Aww. one of those trailer shots and the energy you have on that couch has instantly made you an absolute gay icon. So I hope you're aware of that because we're all in love with you. Um, well, you have is, to give a nod to Michael Wilkinson there, our costume okay. designer. He's extraordinary. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. Um, do you have any advice as Mon Mothma to, to young queer people who are growing up in a time where our rights are being threatened, the media portraying us is not handling us well, yet again and and there's kind of a smear campaign against our entire community in the in in the united states right now and star wars is such a inspirational story and characters like mon mothma creating the rebellion i think can inspire a lot of young people um do you have any advice from mon mothma for that yeah i'm gonna lean into where we find mon mothma in andor and she is somewhere different than we've seen her before. Usually she's surrounded by a band of rebels. She's in with like-minded thinking people. When we meet her at the beginning of Andor, she is a lonely voice in opposition. She is trying to have a voice in a, in a space, in a workplace, in a world where everyone seems to be thinking differently to her. And they are 
oppressing her ideas. They are oppressing people. What we're what we know in Star Wars, and we know where we're going to go in Andor, is very different from where we start. Where we start, we have all these characters, both Mon Mothma and Cassian Andor, among others, who feel alone in their fight, who feel alone in their beliefs, in their ideas. I think what we ex what what will happen going forward is that they will find each other, that they will reach out, that they will risk, that they will find their community. And it is in finding your community that, that you can collaborate and you can stand up and you can seek to make a change and revolt together. Thank you for joining us. The Mon Mothma scenes in Revenge of the Sith were uh, mostly cut. And will it be worth the wait to finally see the political scenes as Mon Mothma evolves as the leader of the Rebel Alliance we finally see in Rogue One? I hope so. That's what was so exciting for me to come in and step into Tony's Gilroy's writing in Andor. He is writing not just the political figure, not just for Mon Mothma, the, the rebel or who will become the rebel leader, but he is writing for her as a woman, what it costs to be this figure, how dangerous it is to, for her to stand up for what she believes in. We will, given the time and the narrative space that Tony and Disney are investing in her, I think it will be worthwhile. I think the wait is worthwhile and I'm excited to have the opportunity to play it. Hi, so I'm Keith Yard from Fatherside Galaxy. Uh, Hi, like, Keith. Hello. So I wanted to ask you about how, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Mon Mothma was played by another actress in Return of the Jedi for a very brief few minutes in the movie. But when you got pitched to play the character, how was Mon Mothma described to you that made you want to be like, yeah, I want to play this role? That's a great question, Keith. I think when I was offered the role um, or to step into the shoes of Mon Mothma nearly 17 years ago now, when I was a young actor for the film Revenge of the Sith, it was really important for me to look at what George Lucas and Caroline Blackston created originally for Return of the Jedi. And you're right, it was a very small scene but it was a really important scene within the film. And I think the character of Mon Mothma has a lot of gravitas within the Star Wars world because who she is as a woman, how she stands up with a quiet confidence, with the dignity and a serenity, with a calm leadership that the rebels need at that time continue to need in each iteration that we see her. Hi, this is Brandon from Talking Bay 94. It's been mentioned how much you've been in Star Wars for almost 20 years now. How has that evolved for you? And how has it remained the same with Andor going from big screen to animation and now live action television? Well, I think as an actor, I inhabit the role. That's my job. So whether that's television or uh, animation with the voice or big screen, it's essentially the same job. I have to inhabit a character 
and bring her to life. I will say that I think Andor in particular is unashamedly, ambitiously cinematic in its scope and in its scale. So it felt like a piece of film that we were making every day. The designs, um, the, the set design, the costume design, it's huge, it's epic. And it's wonderful to get to play Mon Mothma again in that arena. I wanted to ask how you feel about portraying the same character over the last 17 years and how you feel the character has grown. It's a unique opportunity to get to play a, the same character at different times in her life relative to the different points in my life. And I feel I have grown with her. It's wonderful to have the opportunity at this moment to explore her as a woman, as a leader in a difficult time. I'm thrilled that I have the opportunity to do that now at this point in my life where I have a history of not just this character behind me, but of other roles. And I can bring, I think, a texture to the development of this character that I wouldn't have been able to had I had an opportunity to do that 20 years ago. Hi, Genevieve, I'm Charlotte from Sky Talkers. So great to talk with you today. Um, from what we've seen of Mon Mothma in the show so far and before as well, she has an amazing eye for fashion. Can you talk a little bit about your wardrobe and how it may have informed your performance? I worked with our genius costume designer, Michael Wilkinson, very closely. He has a beautiful eye and he worked with Francoise and Malin and the, th the, the three of them curated her outfits in a way that I haven't been able to experience before in film or television. Michael, Malin and Francoise worked almost as with me, almost as if we were in an atelier for haute couture. They crafted and curated and created these beautiful, beautiful pieces of wardrobe that I never knew Mon Mothma would have had. It was a joy to be given the opportunity not only to wear those costumes and to feel different as Mon Mothma in them, but also to help craft them with Michael Wilkinson. And I'm looking forward to yourself and fans to seeing Mon Mothma in those pieces of work and seeing that labor of love on screen. Hi, Genevieve. I am so excited to see the Imperial Senate in Andor. Uh, it's been kind of vague to Star Wars fans, even since the original film. So how would Mon Mothma describe its inner workings in public? And then how might she describe it to a trusted friend behind closed doors? Ooh, I'll start with the fact that the Imperial Senate is vast and huge and exposing. And when one is speaking in a space like that, it exposes vulnerabilities. It also exposes your passion. It forces you to steal yourself and have a voice in your beliefs. It can be alienating because it is so vast, because it represents such interplanetary structure. There will be voices aligned 
with mine, and there will be many voices opposed. I think the inner machinations of a space like that are difficult to navigate. And as a character, one has to be brave to step into them, to own your own voice and fight for what you believe in, even when you might fail. Hi, Genevieve. It's Gustavo and Mariana with Triad of the Force. So happy to talk to you. Uh, our question is, uh, obviously, we've seen Mon Mothma and Return of the Jedi. And in that movie, it's just like this mythic leader of the rebellion. And then we see her portrayal of Revenge of the Sith, where there she's a more hopeful character that tries to reform uh, the Republic from within, from the chaos that she sees might be glooming. Obviously, the Republic fell, and we have the Empire now. So we have Mon Mothma in a different place right now in the series for Andor. So how do you take like those two moments of Mon Mothma's life from Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi and kind of combine them to where she's at now? And how is it different from both moments in time? In regard to the moments in time, the only moment in time that has happened before this story, before Andor, is Revenge of the Sith. We have yet to get to the Mon Mothma in Rogue One and then eventually the Mon Mothma in uh, Return of the Jedi. Obviously, they inform my portrayal of her because I know that they exist and I want to pay homage not only to Caroline and the work that she did in Return of the Jedi, but also the work that uh, Tony and Diego and I, among many others, did in Rogue One. The scenes that were shot in Revenge of the Sith didn't really make it to the to the final cut, but they still exist in deleted scenes. And they also live with inside me because I got to play them. And so they live in my cellular memory. But what's wonderful about Andor and where we find Mon Mothma in such a new space in Andor is that she can carry those hopes and those beliefs and that idealism that she had in Revenge of the Sith. But it can manifest in such a completely different reality when she has to continue to stand and fight against this wall of opposition as a woman in a working environment that is the Imperial Senate. You mentioned that Mon Mothma had a private side. You know, we see here that you, we see her in her day-to-day -day life at home. She has a husband. So what is it about her personality that you thought was most important to portray in these scenes? And also because you have so much experience playing Mon Mothma over 20 years, what have you brought from your life experience to these private scenes? It's wonderful to know the public woman, to know her serenity, to know her um, dignity, and to have the opportunity as an actor when she enters a private space to be able to let that go, to be able to take a cloak off. In fact, maybe in it, I'm not sure if I'm remembering correctly, but maybe in that first scene, you see me take off the Imperial uh, Medal. And I wanted to, 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 to do that to show that in life, sometimes we have to release ourselves from the robes we, were, we wear. And that was what we're reaching for with the different sides of Mon Mothma through Andor to reassess who she is publicly when we see who she is privately. Can we break down that serenity? Can we break through that glass that she is 
and see what is perhaps more chaotic and more difficult and more painful in her private life. And then how does that inform who the woman, the woman she is going forward? How much can that give texture to this public woman that we know we know we know going forward if we know the 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 pain or the the cost in her private life that she has had to carry with her? Talk about the amazing fellow actors that you work with and how you all work together to enhance one another's performance. In Andor, there is quite an extraordinary ensemble of brilliantly talented actors. Diego Luna, Adria Rona, Denise Goff, Kyle Soller, Fiona Shaw. I'm not sure how many more I'm allowed to mention, but I'll start with those. They are the cream of acting talent, both in this country and in, in yours. It's a joy to be to stand alongside actors of that caliber, to stretch each other, to, to push each other, to inspire each other. You know yourself with great fellowship around you, with, with everyone else reaching. You can only work better and, and, and achieve more. They're a special group of people and I'm really excited for everyone to see their collective, the collective work that is the ensemble of Andor. She was so great and, and so lovely. And again, just the Mon Mothma aspect of the show may be the most exciting part for me. Getting to see the Imperial Senate, getting to see her personal life, as she hinted at. Really, really incredible stuff. And so then, of course, the day ended with us getting to briefly meet and talk with executive producer and, of course, star of the show, Diego Luna. Just the nicest guy. At one point in this, he, he says, like, he calls me man just really briefly. And I just, like, lit up like a Christmas tree. I was just so excited. And, and super excited and passionate for this new channel chapter in Cassian's life and in, in Star Wars. Hi, Diego. This is Brandon from Talking Bay 94. So great to get to talk to you. You've mentioned before that you had a backstory, at least some semblance of an idea of what Cassian's life had been before Rogue One when you portrayed him initially. How close does this show match to it in terms of both tone and theme, but also specifics? In terms of the specifics, not at all. Uh, obviously, not at all, and gladly because probably the story would have been boring if it was mine. And and the writing of Tony Gilroy is amazing and complex and intense and and interesting. But uh, but in essence, it's there. It's all there. You know, I had to answer myself those questions of like, what what is he? What does he mean when he says, like, I've been part of this fight since I was six years old? You know, how come can he say that? I mean, what is he referring to? Uh, what, what is that dark past he talks about? What is that terrible stuff he did for the rebellion? All of that I, I, I had an answer for. And tonally and, and, and yeah, it does connect with Tony's ideas, you know, but gladly this is much more interesting, obviously. And uh, the building of the backstory is so perfect, man. It is like every question has an answer. He writes uh, such rich material, you know, uh, full of tiny layers that create a very complex structure. Uh, I, I really like his writing and, and, and his view on, on this show. 
Hi, Diego. A few years ago, you, you got down on your knees to talk to my daughter at the Rogue One premiere in London. And I did. I wanted to, ah. You did. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you what, what, how your children have reacted to your character and being in Star Wars, you know, back when you were doing Rogue One and to now. How have their reactions changed? Well, there, it's different. My daughter is much more into it now than back then, you know. She was, she, she, she was, uh, I guess, too young, uh, and the film was too challenging for her. And and my son loves the idea and is very excited. And it was nice because with the series, I, I, I could, I had the chance to 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 share much more with them, you know. Like when when I was shooting the film. I had to keep a lot to myself. I was also kind of like nervous and it felt like uh, I had to be like just concentrated in the in the in the film because it felt in a way that I was thrown into like a vehicle already moving, you know. And here it's different. I've been involved as a producer, therefore I've been part of this project for 4 years and a half, you know. And uh, I've been able to talk to them about the whole process and explain what's happening and uh, showing them stuff. And 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 gladly I have the chance, yeah, to share this with them and make sure they understand what I do because at the end, I'm doing this for them too, you know. Yeah, they they are excited about it, and I'm glad I'm glad for that. Hi, Diego. My name is Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So great to talk to you today. Knowing how Cassian's story ends, what do you think it is about him that makes him so compelling that we want to return to his life now? I think, uh, well, first of all, that that what he does, like the rest of the team in 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 Rogue One. Uh, is something that not many do, you know, that makes him being very like different and, and interesting and uh, and a character to celebrate, I think, you know. What, what what that team is willing to do, the sacrifice themselves for a cause, it's something that makes them unique, you know, I think. But what is interesting here is that we, we're gonna we're gonna find out that he was really far away from being that person at the beginning, you know, and that he in fact is a, it's like you or me, you know, like there the, is a story about real people that you can connect with, that you can empathize and understand their journey, you know, because um, yeah, Cassian, when we find him, is a he's a guy that is just trying to survive, you know, in, in dark moments of his life, he, he, he carries a lot of pain and, uh, and he has no hope in, in, in becoming something he could feel proud of. And that's where we find him and the journey, the journey and the, the, the awakening of the revolutionary is what I think it, it can be very interesting to witness, you know? Hi, Diego. This is Alex from Star Wars Explained. I am so, so excited for Andor. Star Wars has a long, proud history of giving fans uh, more context of other characters through, usually it's been books or comics. It's so awesome to see it happening on this scale now. How do you anticipate fans uh, viewing Rogue One or other Star Wars stories after watching Andor? I, I I do think that you you're gonna be able to watch uh, Rogue One after after seeing Andor with different eyes. You know, you're gonna understand the characters in a different way, and uh, and you're gonna you're gonna see stuff you were not seeing. You know, uh, it's it's quite interesting because 
Rogue One is, 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 is pretty much about an event. You know, you don't get to know much about the characters. You know a little about Jin and that's it, you know, but uh, it's, it's more about what they're capable of doing when they work together as a team. Uh, and now we're going to tell you what needed to happen for someone to become that person. Uh, and I think you're going to revisit Rogue One with different eyes, you know. You're going to understand what he's talking about. Uh, and and what, what was the life of people in order to be willing to, to, to become part of change, to articulate something, you know, to, to fight the empire, uh, articulate something in a community, you know, become part of a community that feels strong enough to fight, to fight the empire. Uh, I think uh, this show is going to show you what their lives were like, you know, how difficult it was to, to leave, how little freedom you had, uh, how marginalized uh, society was, you know, and, uh, and also you're going to learn a lot about the people working for the empire, you know, because this show also tells you those stories. And you will you will also get to know what their life is like, you know, and you'll get to meet the the people behind the 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 uniforms, you know. So I think it's going to be interesting for audiences to yeah to go back and watch Rogue One after. Eh, Saludos, Diego, Gustavo, y Mariana from Puerto Rico and Tribe of the Force. <laughs> Muchas gracias, <laughs> by the way, por ser un por ser dar otra representación latina en Star Wars. We're very appreciative appreciate of you in that position. My mom says hi, by the way. She loves you in Havana Nights. Uh, so <laughs> the first question that we have for you, I mean, the question that we have for you, though, is that you had mentioned in a previous interview that uh, Andor is going to be the story of the journey of a migrant. And that's something that resonates with us, right, as Latinos and people, you know, and the diaspora that's here in the United States that come from other parts of Latin America. So our question is, uh, how do you see Cassian Andor and how does he represent uh, Latinos in their struggle against colonialism? How is that represented in the show and how do you connect with that struggle? Well, the, the beauty of Star Wars is that uh, it, it's like like every piece of, of, of science fiction, uh, it's a it's a great tool to make comments on, on, on the present and on, on reality, you know, by telling you, I'm going to uh, tell you a story about a galaxy far, far away. You'll bring down your guard, you know, and, and then I can tell you a story that it, even though it happens in a galaxy far, far away, it might have a lot to tell you about your own reality in your galaxy, you know, and uh, it is, it is kind of uh, Part of Star Wars, it's always been, you know, uh, it, that that Star Wars makes comments and and that reflects a moment in history, uh, and uh, and yes, this this story is pretty much about a, a. I mean, Cassian is a is a refugee, you know, he's been forced to move uh, without being able to look back. Um, he 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 leaves something behind, uh, and and. In in Rogue One, no one no one has his accent. He comes clearly from somewhere else than the rest, you know. And uh, and and this this uh, Andor is a story uh, about people, you know, coming from different places and and articulating uh, a thing called community, you know, that that makes them stronger. 
uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, that, that has a lot to do with the world we live in, you know, and what's needed uh, these days, you know. Uh, it's a, it's a, it makes the story pertinent, you know, I think. And, and it's one of the reasons why I'm involved in this project is because uh, I, I feel I, I, can, uh, I can tell a story that matters today. We are Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland. And now I had a question for you about being an executive producer. Did you have any control over the composer or the musical elements that we see in this series? And what were your suggestions to help this music stand on its own for this series? I, I have to say that I witnessed uh, the process of always impressed by what was happening, you know. Uh, it's uh, Tony Gilroy, it's quite an interesting leader. Uh, uh, he thinks of everything uh, before you're even shooting, you know. Uh, I'll tell you a story. There is one scene, I won't tell you which scene because uh, I will be spoiling the story, but uh, there was a piece of music that was created before we even shot the scene where that music is part of the score and it's 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 happening there like there is there is this piece of music that matters so much in an episode that it existed before we even like went on shooting and uh i was on set playing a moment like a, a scene where this music is going to be playing you know and uh and I could hear the music when I was shooting, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this story because I think Tony writes, and when he writes, he has to know what the space that he's writing for is. You know, it has to be designed already, you know, uh, the space where the scene happens. He doesn't write like, well, this happens in the lobby of a hotel, da da da. No. He says, this happens in the lobby of a hotel that is like this. Uh, and uh, and you can tell he had a drawing and he worked with the production designer before writing the scene on what space was the scene going to happen in, you know. Uh, same thing with the music. He ambitions how things are going to sound before they're even shot. And when he's writing, he has that in mind. It's quite amazing. So... When when you ask me about the music, I was I was just celebrating every step of the of the process, you know, because he's so much in control. And obviously, we have like not not a composer, we have the composer, you know. Hello, good good to see you, my friend. Andor's this bold new mature direction in Star Wars storytelling, and I think we learned that in the first ten minutes of the first episode. Can you talk about the shift in tone to a much more adult Star Wars story? Yeah, I don't know if I would say adult. I would say definitely complex. Uh, I would say darker and greedier. But I, I don't know if adult would be the, the, the word because my son, I think it's going to be hooked to this, you know, and he's 14 years old. Uh, I think it's about what you look for in, in, in storytelling, you know, and I think there's audiences for everything. And, and this, this story, it, it definitely touches on, on, a, on a more darker and greedier tone, close to, to, to a, a spy thriller, you know, the, the, 
it's a it's a political thriller too there's uh the, obviously there is moments of like big action and adventure but it's also complex and it's more character driven and and we'll get to 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 see those people relating you know and we'll be patient to witness uh, the life of, of of these characters. The the long format allows you to do that. You know, to not to not to have to choose and stay in one mode, like to to move around, to transit. Uh, and 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 the show is ambitious in that way. You know, because it does it does try to go to places you are not expecting. You know, basically. All right, thank you so much for being able to talk with everyone today. Um, so we had a question commenting on something that Tony Gilroy had mentioned during uh, Rogue One. He had talked about how the film wasn't set into place and the, the version that fans were able to see it, the, the final cut was very different from uh, the kind of original conception of the project. Um, was anything similar like that occurring uh, with Andor? How different is the product that you know we've had the opportunity to watch now compared to maybe some of the, uh, the original uh, vision for the series. I don't think much. I don't think much, uh, but but there is something that happens, and and it's the nature of collaboration. You know, it's like there's an idea, but then a producer comes in, you know, like Sana, and uh, and her perspective matters, and then suddenly that. Sh- shapes the project in a different way then we start working with Luke who's the set designer the production designer who's a, an amazing mind and uh, and and when he starts designing even the scenes change you know because they are going to happen in a different place so the writing has to change and then you cast uh, the project, you know, and uh, even though you had in mind someone, uh, when you end up casting, uh, an amazing actor comes uh, out of nowhere and you go like, shit, that's that's a character and that transforms things. So and, and that happens more in 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 this format in 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 a series than than in film, you know, because a series it's like. The process starts for the first block uh, and you start shooting while, you know, there's stuff that is still being written, you know, it's a machine that doesn't, doesn't stop. So obviously things are not what they are till you, you finish all the process. But what I can tell you is that the, the energy, the, the vision, it's been, it's been one since, since the start, you know? Since we 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 started pre-producing this, and and it's Tony Gilroy's, and uh, and obviously all of us we are around to collaborate and to uh, help his vision elevate to where it deserves, you know. But it's all about his vision. So that will do it for this special episode of Talking Bay 94. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know this is a little bit different, but hope you got some answers about what Andor might entail and also got to hear me fanboy over uh, Mon Mothma and uh, the upcoming series. Again, uh, thank you to Lucasfilm and to everyone um, that put this junket together because it was really an incredible opportunity and I am, I'm really lucky for everything that's coming through for the Andor series. Uh, and then also, again, a huge shout out to the rest of my panelists because they really made the day fun. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, that was Jedi news sky talkers star wars explained tried out of the force 
Skywalking Through Neverland, Coffee with Kenobi, Father's Son Galaxy, Pink Milk, and Fangirls Going Rogue. They're all great. I've been on a bunch of those shows before, so please check them out. I put all their links in the show notes as well, because I'm sure they have their coverage coming up at the same exact time that I'm putting out this coverage. And of course, Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney Plus on September 21st with the first three episodes. I cannot wait, and I'm sure you cannot as well. That will be it for this week for Talking About 94. Uh, next week is my interview with ILM's Rachel Rose to celebrate light and magic. Uh, and if you're enjoying this show, please head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these episodes and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really means the world and is the reason that I'm able to do these cool things. Until next episode, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.